listeners, and welcome to the Sailing and Cruising the East Coast of the United States podcast. I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Hey, Bela, great to see you again. What's up for today? Well, today we're going to have part two of my conversation with Joe Hagan. Joe was a previous guest on the show. He was here in uh, episode 11, where we talked about his business, Offshore Adventure Cruising. It's a great podcast. Listen to that one. And uh, in this episode and in the immediate previous one, Joe talks about sailing this past summer uh, from Florida all the way up to the coast of Maine. Uh, we had a great conversation, broke it into two parts, and this is part two. That's great. Bela, I love the first part, and I'm sitting on the edge of my seat here waiting to finish the trip. So off we go. That's cool. And then so uh, heading up through Massachusetts, you get into New Hampshire just for a little slice and then to Maine. Yeah. So tell us about that's right. Tell us about Maine. So Isle of Shoals is actually the border between New Hampshire and Maine actually goes through this little clump of granite, rocky islands at Isle of Shoals. And we reached there on the 1st of June. And it was just absolutely gorgeous. Got there late in the day. There's a little lighthouse out on a crag. And the sun was setting behind it. And it it was just fabulous. Um, you know, we kept running into, into uh, this situation where we'd get places and nothing would be open yet because we were too early. Mm, yes. You know, Block Island, the restaurants, you know, we had a hard time finding restaurants open in Block Island. They said, well, you, you know, you got to come back in a couple of weeks. And that was the story all the way up. You know, we, we just were two weeks too early. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but Isla Shoals is gorgeous. And from there we, um, I think took, uh, let me, let me think one, two, two and a half days from Isla Shoals up to Robin Hood near Georgetown, Maine, up the Sheepscot River, uh, where there's a marina there and left the boat, uh, for almost a month. We had, I had a family wedding and stuff like that. So we made this quick trip up to the Sheepscot River and left for a month and then came back and then we had two and a half months sort of uninterrupted just my wife and i uh sailing sailing maine i say just my wife and i but had a family uh, member come and join us for a week and some uh, and some friends come and join us for a week but it was you know it wasn't business it was all fun yes very nice very nice so uh, during this during this trip, did you did you and you said you were early? I, I remember uh, doing that on the Chesapeake once when I did an early charter. I didn't I didn't know it was early, but with my two sons, and I, we couldn't even get fuel in some places, right? Because I mean the marinos oh weren't God. open yet, and, yeah. And uh, so you know timing it timing is important, as they say. Did you have any challenges uh, provisioning the boat or you know getting fuel or getting pumped out or any of those types of things? No, in fact, you know, one of the things that really contrasts this trip from our normal trips in the tropics is the complete lack of any difficulty provisioning. I mean, we're used to really stocking, stockpiling provisions and 
you know, planning around refueling stops. You know, you got that everywhere on the U.S. East Coast, at least compared to what we're accustomed yeah. to. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's kind of luxurious. If we had any, if we needed any parts, the reason we went to New Bedford is because I needed a little part for my propane system. So, well, let's just run over here to, pro, to New Bedford. Now, if, if we'd been in Jamaica, <laughs> you, I would have had to, like, take a bus to to Kingston or something, you know. So it, it's pretty easy. Plus, you're always connected on the U.S. East Coast. That's right. That's right. Which we're not accustomed to. You know, we didn't even have to uh, – you know, one of the tricks you learn in the tropics – uh, in the more remote places of the tropics is to put your, you know, put your iPhone, turn it into a, a hotspot. hotspot and, and raise it up to the top of the mast where you can get a cell signal and then you can use your Wi-Fi, right? Yep. Well, we didn't do that a single time on the U.S. East Coast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Plenty this, of signal all yeah. the time. This is why I think sailing the East from, you know, the Keys all the way up to Maine or, or Nova Scotia, if you want, it's just fantastic yeah. because you, you all the infrastructures there. Uh, yeah, there might be if you're too early or too late. There might be a few things that are closed, or you know, you might a restaurant might be closed, etc. Yeah. But for the most part, we really are spoiled. I mean, it is fabulous facilities and infrastructure, and again, the variety of from the granite shores of Maine, <laughs> you know, where you where you check the depth of the water twice. <laughs> Right. No, I'm. You're absolutely right. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm sold. You. You've. Uh, you've made that case well. I think. And you know, I kind of knew all that intellectually, but still experiencing it made made me, you know, made it really sink in that. Yeah. Boy, this is this is great. Yeah. Now, did you guys anchor out most of the time, or did you go to mooring, or did you go to marinas, or just mix it up? We mostly uh, anchored out. Um, I mean, there are places, and Maine's a good example, where uh, moorings are more practical than anchoring uh, in many spots, so we did that. Um, As I mentioned earlier, I made four or five trips home over the several months, 10 or 12 months, we were on the boat. And that would be when we would leave it, um, at a Marina and sometimes on a mooring at a Marina. Yes. Um, but you know, we're, we're, we're kind of cheap. So we stay on, you know, we anchor and we like it anyway. Yes. We like anchoring. Yes. You know, how did you, how did you find, uh, cost and the prices of things as you come further North? Um, like dock fees, mooring fees, those types of things. Well, uh, I'd say more expensive than further south, probably. But in the grand scheme of things, it it was kind of small. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't. Um, I mean. Our lifestyle is kind of inexpensive when we're try- <laughs> when we're living on a sailboat. Yeah, you you can make it inexpensive or yeah, right. Um, and so if we wanted to take a mooring or 
go out to eat or go into a marina. We didn't think about it a lot, to to be honest. Um, But I do think that, um, and I guess it's because they have such a short season, you know, the marinas, if they're going to get any revenue, they're going to have to do it in a small number of months. That's right. Whereas Florida's got all year round. Right. So they're, they're not getting much revenue now except for, you know, charging me to keep my boat on the hard there. Yeah, right. Well, right. It, it reminds me of the story over the summer where uh, we had some family on the boat and it was early September. So the height of the season was over and they wanted to go to Newport. Yeah. And uh, so uh, we, we sailed down the bay and I, you know, Called ahead and tried and looked priced out uh, dock space for for a night. We just wanted one night, and yeah. it was three hundred and seventy five dollars a night. Oh my gosh! A two night minimum. Oh, that's that was my reaction too. Ooh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, I think we paid uh, you know one hundred and fifty dollars a night at a couple, uh, you know, a few times yeah. for marinas, and I. You know, for years I kept my my boat in places where I spent one hundred and fifty dollars a month. Right, <laughs> right. right. Now, now that was Newport, so you know I give it's yeah, it's yeah. certainly not that expensive everywhere. I don't want to give people that right. impression. That's right. And it was That's you know right. right it was step off the dock and you're in downtown Newport. So that's right. You know, uh, God bless them that they can they can charge that much. Um, yeah. But you can anchor in Newport Harbor. Uh, they have a re- reasonable yeah. anchorage there, and they have mooring balls that are not expensive. Uh, right. that are run by the town. And, and, uh, so there's a lot of options yeah, Newport, there. Newport was delightful. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it is upscale, but I mean, we had a ball there and, uh, you know, the people are great. The, the, the dining, you know, the venues are great. Yeah. Yeah. And it was kind of nice to, uh, indulge ourselves just a little bit. Yeah. So uh, reflecting back on, on your trip, uh, what were sort of the the things that most surprised you? Um, well, let's see. Again, these are things that I kind of knew, but surprised me nonetheless. Yeah, it's one it's one thing to know something; it's another thing to experience it. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's. The water up north is much less salty than down south. You know, in the tropics, we're all we're always struggling to minimize the salt on the boat and on ourselves, and having to worry about keeping it out from the cabin down below. Um, and we really didn't have to worry about salt at all once we got north of the truck of the Chesapeake yeah. or even in the Chesapeake. Yeah. Um, so that was surprising. Um, I mentioned, uh, provisioning and connectivity is easy. Um, of course, you know, some, some things are simply related to the climate. Like we don't, we don't need sun awnings in Maine. <laughs> that's right you're if you have one you're taking it down <laughs> yeah exactly um so it, on the other hand um the refrigerator stays a lot colder 
in Maine and uses a lot less power than it does in the tropics. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, there are things you would expect, but still we kind of found ourselves surprised by nonetheless. Yeah. So how, how, how about lobster pots? How was your experience with uh, <laughs> lobster pots? Oh my God. Listen, my wife has some, Four-letter words, uh, for <laughs> lo- <laughs> and it's not pots. Um, yeah. Did you get tangled up? No, we never caught one. Um, we we ran over a bunch, but um, you know it it does keep you on your toes to have to watch for lobster pots. It's quite tedious sometimes. We're fortunate because our boat is full keel and it has, you know, the propellers in an aperture. So it's kind of, it's kind of difficult to catch a lobster pot or a crab pot. But uh, I'm sure that if it is possible, I will find a way to do it before long. But we didn't catch one this year. So yeah, that was good. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they get annoying. Yeah. Even though it's, it's kind of a, you know, it's it's just part of the story, and I I can't feel too bad about it. You know, I, right? Yeah, it, so. it, 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 it I always think there's like two level or three levels of having to pay attention when you're at the helm, right? There's sort of like you're offshore, there's nothing around, and yeah. you you can be on autopilot. You can right. go down below for five minutes, sure. you know, you can do your business, yeah. you can make lunch, you can do whatever. It's, it's almost boring, right? Yes. And, and then there's sort of, you're, you're, you're near shore or you're in the Chesapeake or maybe you're in the ICW and you basically have to have someone on watch all the time. Now, yeah, maybe you right. can run below for a minute or two, but not for very long. Right. And then there's lobster pots. <laughs> Yeah. Which I think you had a good word for it. It's tedious. I mean, you, you almost want to have two people <laughs> sort of looking yeah. out because oftentimes the sail will block, you know, your view on a particular side. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, and they're in the middle of channels and they're sometimes right next to each other. I mean, they're literally six feet apart in some places and uh, they're in 200 feet of water. You know where you wouldn't expect them. They're still there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're they're and they're in six feet of water. They're yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Well, I will say, I I you know my first experience with the fairly high density of those types of things was in the Chesapeake years ago when we chartered down yeah. there, and and much to my pleasant surprise, Narragansett Bay doesn't have that many crab pots in it. Right. Uh, there's a few places they tend to be again in the shallower water, and uh, you know we've learned now sort of where they are. And, and the rest of it's pretty nice. So that, that's been, a, a quite frankly, a very nice surprise to me because I was yeah. thinking, oh, boy, you know, we're going to have to deal with these whenever we're gone. Now, one of yeah. the things that, that I always worried about, I've never sailed at night in a place where there's a lot of lobster pots or crab pots. Did you guys do any night sailing up in Maine where you had to deal with that? We did uh, uh, a couple of overnights. Most of our travel was um, in the daytime, but uh, the overnights were where we got, you know, we're going 
a fairly long distance and could get way out away from shore. Um, but like I said, even then sometimes you'd see uh, lobster pods. You know, we went up uh, to, I, I can't remember the name, but as we were heading uh, to the extreme, you know, down east, mm-hmm. the, the most northeasterly part of Maine, the current, that's something that's different. The current you got to deal with in Maine um, was just amazingly strong. I mean, it must have been running at three knots, something like that. Is this out, and out, out in the open or, or sort of between islands and stuff? Well, you know, there's a stretch from about uh, Cutler is a little village up to up to uh, Lubeck, which is maybe 25, 30 miles. And there's not really any islands. It's just, uh, a, you know, a rocky uh, coast, spruce trees and granite. That's all there is, you know. Um and no real islands of any size. And the current runs through there like crazy. And yet there's still lobster pots out there. <laughs> and I just like, how in the world do they get them to stay put? I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. But yeah, sailing offshore there uh, at night is problematic. But, you know, this is one of those cases where you just have to uh, hope for the best. You can't see them. We put the autopilot and yep. kept our fingers crossed. Yeah. And what about what about tides? Uh, some pretty pretty high heavy tide. Not just the tidal currents, but also changes in tide. Height. Yeah. Uh, well, of course, all of Maine has big tides. Yeah. And uh, eight, ten, twelve feet is not at all unusual. At the if you go down east as far as you can go in Maine, you're going to get to Lubeck and Eastport, where it's twenty feet. And that's just amazing. Yeah. 20 feet. Well, and you, oh my and, God. and you figure if they're moving that much water, there's got to be current because <laughs> it's got, yeah, it's, absolutely. it's coming in and going back out. Well, yeah. And th- I think that's something else, you know, now that I'm talking about it and thinking about it, that's something else that I think we learned. I mean, I learn stuff all the time, of course, but, um, when the tides are much more modest, so is the current. And, you don't really worry too much about it. You might notice that, Hey, I'm going, I'm going pretty fast. I must have current with me. Um, or I'm not making much headway here and must be current against us up there. You, you can't be cavalier about it. You have to plan around it. You have to be aware of it because, you know, running against a three knot current is just right. futile. Yeah. It's like planning going through the East river or the, Cape Cod yeah. Canal or something. You you got to time exactly. it right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Now, did that give you any challenges in an- anchoring? The not the maybe not necessarily the current, but that you know the 10, 15 foot of tide and getting out enough scope. And I, I've made I've made a few mistakes when I didn't take that into consideration, and I anchored at low tide and at at high tide we were almost floating. <laughs> Yeah, no, you know, it really wasn't problematic. It did make me, uh, I was very conscious of it, and so I had to really think about it. So we'd anchor in 15 feet of water, 
and I'd think, well, okay, 15, I want a five to one or an eight to one. So I need to put out 75 or 100 feet of chain. And then I think, but what's the tide? Oh, it's going to go up by 10 feet. Now I've got 25 feet of water. Certainly 75 feet of chain isn't going to be enough. So I always put out a, an excessive amount of chain. I was, you know, I, I had 150, 200 feet of chain yeah. out quite often. Yeah. One, one of the things that I find to be a challenge in those situations is your swing can change by a great distance. Yeah. So you got to think about not only how much chain you're putting out, but the amount of swing you'll have at low tide and the amount of swing you'll have at high tide. Right. 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 And and so if you have less swing, that's probably not a problem. But if you don't, if you don't think about that as well, you can find yourself swinging into something that you don't want to swing into at low tide because you have to put out so much. Right. Absolutely right. Yeah. You got to, you got to think through it. So you can't have cocktail till after the anchor set. <laughs> Do you use an anchor alarm at night at all? No, I uh, I don't have an anchor alarm. I um, you know I have Navionics on yeah. iPhone and I mark where I am and you know I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll grab my phone and look and I'm like oh, okay well we're 36 feet away from the the mark I'm fine yeah you know yeah so, so you know I I get a fair amount of. Uh, anchor anxiety, as I call it. So I, I never yeah. sleep well when I'm anchored out. If I'm on a mooring ball, I sleep really well. Uh, yeah. Do you get anchor anxiety as well? I've been doing it. I, I no, I really don't. I sleep like a log all the time. No, well, that's nice. <laughs> but you know, I'm sure my uh, my little crisis is is in the future. It'll happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, you certainly have a lot more experience than I do. So. I'm, I'm well, looking forward to my anchor anxiety uh, uh, waning as I get more experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. So if um, if someone was uh, thinking about doing a trip, uh, you know, up the up the coast from, let's say, to Chesapeake North, yeah, uh, what advice would you give them? Go. Um, don't hesitate. Um, Wait until about uh, early May before leaving, I would say, uh, maybe mid-May, maybe late May. Um, yeah, probably late May before leaving. And then um, be sure you have your charts and, and go. I mean, it's a... It's, uh, it was intimidating for us to think about going into what for us was virgin territory in environment that's a little different than what we're sailing in. But it was that difference and that challenge and that unknown that created all the wonder and magic, you know? And uh, so, yeah, go for the wonder and magic. Go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, boy, I really resonate with what you said. It, it's that, it's that adventure or that unknown is is the thing that draws me to, to doing yeah. things like this. Of course, yeah. Right. Yeah. And it, and it's a fine line because I, I tend to be very conservative. I tend to be very careful. Yeah. Because I don't want to fall too. off the cliff, but I like to walk close to the edge. <laughs> yeah. Just, 
Yeah, I just think of it as, you know, take one step. You can always turn around. Yep. And don't be afraid to turn around. Um, but, yeah, go take take it one step at a time. Yeah, you know, that that's really good advice about turning around because it's, it's a lesson that I learned this summer uh, about docking. Yeah. So... So off my, my normal MO for docking would be, you know, once I start going into the slip, I'm going in. (laughs) I don't care how out of shape my boat is. I'm going in. And, and, and finally it clicked on me. Like, you know what, Bela, if you're going in and it doesn't look right, you can just, you could, cause I back into my slip, you know, I can put it into forward and I can go out and I can start over again. And it's, it's a simple thing, right? right? It's an obvious thing. But it wasn't until this summer that, you know, my thick skull finally changed its behavioral pattern and said, you know what, this isn't going to go well, put it into forward, start over again. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I can see that on trips too, right? You depart uh, and you start going and, you know, maybe something breaks or, or maybe whatever. And people don't, people tend not to turn around. There's a huge impediment, right. I think, to in people's minds about backtracking and, and turning around. And that's real great advice. Yeah, well, you can't let your pride get you, get you in trouble, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, you're going to be back for another trip up north? Yes. Uh, I'm not sure when. I'm, uh, I'm kind of excited about... <laughs> I'm kind of excited about warm weather, to be honest, and being in the tropics again. Um, but I'm struggling right now with what's the next big thing. Um, and I've got wild ideas, but... Um, you mean big thing as a, a place to go? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to... Uh, set a spring sailing schedule that uh, gives me a chance to give the boat a good shakedown um, after a refit. And that keeps my options open for what to do after May. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, could be, well, there's lots of things it could be. Sure. You know, as you were saying that, it, it got me to think about one of the other nice things about at least the north northeast is if the weather's from the south today, uh, probably within a few days it'll be from the north. <laughs> yeah. Or if it's right. from the west today, in a few days it'll be from the east. So, True. so you know, you can you may have to sit for a day or two, but you're gonna get some favorable winds. And I I think about going to places that you know where they have trade winds. It's yeah. there's only really one direction you want to go in. <laughs> That's so, true. So it makes it tough coming back. You know? It does. You know, that's uh, we talked about that a lot because we're accustomed to the tropics where the trade winds blow, and it's always in the same direction. Um, and because you can count on it, you sort of plan routes, and you can sail. Honestly, you, you can sail more in the tropics than you can on the U.S. East Coast. However, you know, if you had more time and were more patient and didn't put yourself on a schedule, you might be able to sail just as much on the East Coast if, like you say, you just 
are willing to wait a couple days for the right weather. When the wind blows out of the northeast instead of the southwest, well, that's when you go, you know? Right. Um, but, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's different. Yeah, cool. Hey, so, Joe, uh, is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have? Anything that we should talk about that, that we haven't covered? Um, no, I think uh, for us it was a fabulous experience. It was new territory, the diversity of the geography, the geology, the people, um, the the infrastructure, like I said, that supports the cruising is all different. The skills that are required are different than what, you know, they're a lot different in Maine than they are in Florida. I learned so much about using the radar that's been on my boat for years. And I, you know, that first fog near Charleston, looking back on it, I'm like, well, no wonder I was so freaked out. I didn't know how to use the radar. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, I, the radar has all these features I didn't even know I had, and I learned how to, you know, adjust the gain and, you know, all these things. So, yeah, go places and uh, that are that are outside your comfort zone. You'll learn some lessons. That's uh, That's my takeaway. Yeah, wonderful. Wonderful. Hey, Joe, it's fabulous to see you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's for, great talking. Thank you very much for being on the podcast and sharing your experience with us. Uh, sure. It was really good. It was good to see you again, Bella, and I'm glad to hear you're out sailing. Oh, yeah. I know you're for, the, for a few months, but you'll be out there. We'll yeah. cross paths one day. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I hope so. That would be that would be kind of cool. I would look forward to that day very much. Yeah, great. All Thanks right. for having me. Yep. Take care, Joe. Bela, great finish. It was great to hear the end of the story and the end of the trip. Um, question for you. You know, you hadn't been to some of the places that Joe mentioned. What parts of the trip that Joe took are you interested in making either next summer or maybe in the coming few years? Well, all of them. <laughs> you know, one of the interesting things uh, about uh, the East Coast, I think, and I've, and I've been, you know, I've been from Florida up to up to uh, as far north as Nova Scotia, Um but certainly haven't stopped in all the places that, that Joe stopped. I think one of the great things about it is the diversity. And, and that came out in my conversation with Joe, right? And Florida is very different than North Carolina is very different than New York city is very different than Boston is very different than Maine. And, and so you have this great diversity, uh, not just in scenery, but in sort of things to think about when you're sailing, you know, in our previous, uh, in the previous episode, uh, you and I talked about some of the intellectual challenges that I enjoy in sailing. Well, you know, you, you go down around Florida and the Chesapeake Bay and the tides are maybe a foot or two. You get up to Maine, you have 15 foot tides. <laughs> so, you know, all pots. of a sudden oh, yeah, and lobster pots. Yeah. Right. So all of a sudden there's all these other things that you didn't have to deal with um, that, that you sort of have to figure out what you're going to do. And, you know, that's a learning experience. Uh, so I just think that's one of the great things is, is there's so much diversity uh, and you don't have to go from Florida all the way up to Maine to see that diversity and sort of sailing conditions and, and scenery and things. Um, so I, I think that's really great. And, you know, the other interesting thing that I was thinking about was, you know, Joe, Joe typically takes folks to the Bahamas, 
uh, on these cruises. He sails over from Florida or from the Gulf Coast uh, to the Bahamas. That's sort of what his typical thing is. And because of COVID, uh, he decided this summer not to sort of deal with going into other countries and getting people into other countries and all that kind of stuff. Uh, just because you can't be in a situation where you get it, you know, you get shut down. And uh, that's one of the reasons he decided to stay in the United States and, and sort of go up the East Coast. And I think he was really pleasantly surprised at sort of the what he saw and, and the abilities and the, and the challenges uh, that one can encounter there. And uh, so I thought that was great. And that's, you know, why I do this podcast to talk all about sailing the East Coast of the United States, because it is a wonderful place to go sailing. Agreed. Great thoughts. I think we should wrap it up. So listeners, thanks for joining us again for another episode. We hope you found the conversation with Joe Hagan, both parts, interesting and thought-provoking like we did. If you have questions about what we discussed, as always, please feel free to get in touch with us. Our email address remains sailingtheeast, all one word, at gmail.com. Please drop us a line. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please hit that follow button in your podcasting application. And if you know of someone that would be a good guest for the show, let us know. We'd love to have them and let them share their experiences with all of our listeners. So signing off until next time. See you soon. And Bela, as always, it's been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to next time. See you soon from over here in Munster, Germany, off Wiedersehen. <laughs>